What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. And hello to all you faithful patrons of the Shea Vippy Bar. You are back here on the Shea Vippy Mob Pod, a podcast you can't refuse, available on the Full Press Radio Network and available for download on your favorite podcast provider. I am Mike DeBate. Uh, I am your co-host and your co-patron of the Shea Bippy Mob Bar, and I am joined, as always, by my cohort, my cohort in crime. Excuse me, my co-host. He is the Sonny to my Jimmy Whispers. He is the incomparable Thomas Murphy. And Murph, before I welcome you in today, I don't know about you, but as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Damn straight. <laughs> uh, one of the best opening lines of any film ever, gangster or not, it, it is the, the scene in itself completely let you know where you were. This is not one of your father's gangster movies. This is a film that, that peeled back the curtain of... Um, what it was like to be a gangster in the 60s, in the 70s. It wasn't um, polished up. It wasn't the upper echelon of organized crime like it would be with The Godfather. What we saw in The Godfather, folks, was was the the head of the family, uh, of the family, in, when, in Mario Puzo's uh great epic book um, in the Corleones and, and how that family ran organized crime. This was, this was almost a look into what life would have been like for Carlo. And, and that's, that's the way I look at this film. It's, it's Scorsese at his peak. Uh, he has done nothing better. No, you know, disrespect to raging bull or anything else he did. This is it. And, um, this is a story of, of an Irish kid, and that's why I love it so much. <laughs> Even a partial Irish kid who grew up, as we said, wanting to be a gangster. He didn't want to be president. He didn't, you know, some of the kids in the world, you, you grow up, you go to school, and you pledge allegiance and all that, that bullshit, and nope, I want to be a gangster. He saw the, he saw the gangsters outside his window, and, and he knew that's what he wanted to be. He saw the guys in the, in the flash cars and in, in nice suits, and, you know, um, you stay up all night and throw loud parties and nobody calls the cops. You don't get tickets for being double parked. You wanted to be a wise guy. You wanted to be a good fella. And when you were a kid, how old were you when this movie came out, Mike? I was 10 when this movie came out, 1990. Yep. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I can't remember the exact release date of this, but yeah. 1990, I was 10. I mean, at the very earliest, I was 9, but because uh, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a June baby, so I, uh, middle part of the year, I think it came out in the latter okay. part of 1990. So well, I was you did 10. not was see while. this in the theater. I did not see this in the theater. I it was a few years the beyond. Yeah, it was a few years beyond. But uh, I, I, I pulled up to the movie house in my in my in my El Dorado, 
And um, and I, I just sat back and, and I loved every second of this movie. It is one that I will watch every time that it is on television. Something that I'll go and search for when I'm bored. And uh, it, it's just, you know, we're happy to open the Bippy and, and talk about this one and, and educate you folks and maybe, you know, just, just sit back. Not, not even, because all of you, like Mike and I were saying off air, all of you have seen this movie dozens of times. And if you haven't, you know, you're going to want to after this one. Without question, without question at all, and it really is. I think this is one of, I do believe, again, I agree with my uh, my cohort in crime here, I believe this is Scorsese's finest film, and that's saying a lot when you consider the man's, uh, you know, uh, just right. laundry list of work that he's done, and just the, 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 uh, the, the body of work that he's put out is just tremendous, but this really is peak Martin Scorsese, and as most of you may know, some of you may not know, um, the um, the movie Goodfellas is based on a novel by Nicholas Pileggi, which is called Wise Guy. And Pileggi wrote this book essentially about true-to-life mobster Henry Hill and the the lifestyle that he led, you know, basically coming from childhood, wanting to be a gangster, right. like Murph said, to working his it's way up to middle management. Exactly. It is. It's, it's a memoir. And interesting enough, Martin Scorsese actually was not someone that wanted to do any more mob films. He had done his, his quota according to what he had said, and he yep. really wasn't interested in doing any more. However, when he saw this book and he read this book he immediately cold called cold called uh nicholas pileggi who he did not know um and he called him and said this is the book i've been waiting for my entire life i need to be a part of this movie project yep. and pileggi responded to him well this is the phone call i've been waiting for my entire life there's no one else i want to tell this story but you right. martin and you Mr. it's Scorsese. almost like martin martin had had been looking out that window when he was a kid too Exactly. You know, only and he took a different turn than, than Henry Hill. He went to right. school. You he know? absolutely did. And this was a an opportunity for him to be able to tell the story of the Italian-Irish dynamic with the mafia and be able to tell it in a realistic portrayal. And we hadn't seen a whole lot of that. And with all due respect, anyone that knows my written work, anyone that knows my work from here on The Shape Ippy, I hold The Godfather in the highest of regards when it comes to film. But The right. Godfather's version, and Murph touched on this in the intro, was a romanticized version of what the actual mafia life, day-to-day -day life was. This movie didn't pull any punches. It didn't hold back. It showed you the dirty, gutter uh, feeling of being a part of this world. It also did show the romanticized version as well. It showed the glamour and the lifestyle yeah. of being able to take out a wad of cash and pay for Welcome things. Welcome to the Copa. You know, exactly. Welcome to the Copa. You know, they, you know absolutely. The, the table yep. went up. This is from Mr. Tony. Up. The table got put up front. You, 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 you didn't stand in line with the stiffs. Yeah, you know, waiting absolutely. to get in. You went through. You, you went through the back and through the kitchen, past all of the the, the other guys who, and you, you tipped them all twenty bucks on the way through. And, and it was this was the day to day mob life um, during the sixties and seventies. Absolutely, and that's exactly what it was. And 
I think, brilliantly told by Scorsese, brilliantly adapted from the novel by Nicholas Pileggi, but brilliantly acted in this film. And I can't say enough about the performances that everybody provided here from, obviously, the incomparable Robert De Niro as Jimmy Conway. Mm -hmm. Just unbelievable being able to do what he did. Uh, Ray Liotta, and I think his Another Irishman out of his, his, you know, in his element, but out of his world. Absolutely. And the dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why this movie spoke to me more than than maybe any other mafia movie because it brought into, you know, the fringy Irish guys that that worked on the outside but were connected guys and you know that that yeah I, it spoke to me in that way but you're right let's get back to you what you're talking about with the cast this is just a, an amazing one of the greatest ensemble casts ever put together yeah, without question. I mean, you know, and we haven't even gotten to Joe Pesci in his Oscar-winning role yet as Tommy right. DeVito, who was based on the real-life gangster Tommy DeSimone, who Henry Hill actually said at numerous points that the actual Henry Hill said at numerous points that Pesci's performance was pretty much spot on with the exception of the fact that Tommy DeSimone was massively built. Anyone that's seen Joe (laughs) Pesci knows that he is not massively built, but he acted massively in this. You believe him to be a badass, even though, you know, Pesci is, you know, not a very tall man and the least. He took the Napoleon thing to to new heights. He He really did. did. He He he, really and truly did. did. Yeah. And you saw the the buddings of an actress that went on to have an amazing career in this genre in Lorraine Bracco, portraying uh-huh. Karen Hill, um, and her portrayal going uh, you know forward as well. Paul Sorvino, who is, it really is, uh, I think, the glue that holds this this movie together as as, as Paulie and as Paul Cicero and what he's yep. able to do in, in keeping this, and then all the bit parts. And again, we chronicled. Murph and I opened the Shape Ippy Bar chronicling a Bronx tale, and that's where we got our name for the show from, and, and really, I think, has, has gone on. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene where Ray Liotta as Henry Hill is introducing all of the button men in this world, right. this mafia world that he's in, and it really is hilarious. And, uh, you know, between Joey two times, i got to get the papers, get the papers, you get know, papers, Mickey eyes with the, with the, the yep. gigantic glasses. I mean, just, <laughs> and this is exactly how life was for them back in, in, yeah. the, uh, in the 60s when the, uh, the, the Italian mafia was really kingpin in New York, and they really ran the show. Mm-hmm. It really was, and, and and the other people. I mean, folks. Samuel L. Jackson played a played a part in this. You guys remember Stax? He was in this. You know, uh, Frankie Savio, uh, Tony. Der- it's just a laundry list of of amazing Italian American actors and 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 Jewish actors. Chuck Lowe, who played Mo- uh, Morris, uh, the wig maker. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's the other that's the other thing that that you know this novel and this film did. And I talked about it. In, in 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 an Irish standpoint, but I organized crime branched out into every single demographic in New York. It, there was nothing that wasn't touched, and um, so you see everybody when you didn't when you don't usually see that in in other gangster flicks and in monster in mobster flicks. It's all about the Italian American experience and what it was like to grow up, but it. it they rarely touched on, you know, how African Americans worked into this and how the Jewish community worked into this or the Irish community. Goodfellas, the 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 film opened that up for everybody and said, "Wow, it, it yeah, okay, now we get it. It's everywhere." <laughs> 
Yeah, you it know, truly from was. from from the the furniture store where uh, where Karen works. <laughs> I mean, where um, not Karen, who uh, Janice works to uh, to everywhere. They, they, it touches everything. Everybody was paying somebody. Everybody was getting getting paid, and, and and it all got bumped up to to one of my favorite characters of all time, and and that's Paulie Cicero. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, and 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 Sorvino plays this part perfectly. He uh, does. One of my favorite lines in any movie is Paulie never moved. He didn't have to. You know, I mean, just it was that it was. To. You know, exactly. He didn't have. He didn't to. have to I mean, move for really, anybody. Exactly. No, Paulie didn't have to beautiful. move for anybody. He didn't and move it, fast, but that's only because he didn't have to move for anybody. Exactly. And, you know, him, uh, his his brother Tootie, uh, Michael Imperiori plays a yeah. great role in this in this film. It, it was my first introduction to Michael Imperiori. Yeah. He plays Spider. Spider. Uh, yep. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic, freaking death scene. One of the greatest death scenes ever. Because uh, it happened in two parts, first getting shot in the foot, and 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 that also goes to show you what happens here, what happened in this in this world, you know how insults can turn into death in five seconds. You know, go get your fucking shine box, and yep. you're 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 you know three hours later you're dead. Yeah, you know exactly. That's, that's the way it was. These are the people that you're de- that you were dealing with. It wasn't um, it wasn't Michael Corleone sitting in the you know sitting in the garden you know looking out over a lavish wedding all the time. That's that's yeah. not what it was. Although the wedding scene in this in this movie was pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really was. It, it really and truly was. And I think that it was so I, I think it was so uh, um, you know, accurate in terms of what they yep. had with the Oh you know, God, you, yeah. You, you how many how many friends did you yeah. have named Peter and Paul? And, oh and absolutely there, there were eight Marie. Marines I mean, you know, eight yeah, exactly. Marines in your class. There were eight Believe Marines me. in your class. I know yep. it. I grew yep. up in probably the most Italian-American town in one of the most mm-hmm. Italian-American states in the Union, in Johnston, Rhode Island. And that whole Paulie, Peter, Marie, Tony, yep. that just, it all, it fed in. And you knew Tootie. someone. We had tooties in my that. class. We, we, yeah. we had, you know, I, growing up, it's the same here in Middletown, Connecticut. You go ahead, um, Google the, the St. Sebastian's Feast, St. Sebastian's biggest church in town. And it, it is. It's it's you you learned to speak Italian growing in growing up in my in my town because everybody was Italian. Everybody you know you you ended up dating a, a girl that was Italian, and or lots several girls that were Italian. And all their you walked into the home and Italian was spoken in the spoken in the home. So you had to pick stuff up. You really did. And um and most of it is what's she doing with the Irishman. <laughs> He's Catholic. Shut up. Leave him alone. <laughs> and, 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 and that mean, goes exactly. And, and just bringing it back to the, to the movie, that goes. I a lot of people don't think this way. I really think that Scorsese shot this film. He read this book. He felt the Irish Catholic guilt that that is asserted and in, in, was asserted into my life. And maybe it's just because I'm so personally attached to Irish Catholic guilt, but that's the way it seemed to me, that this was a, a story about guilt. It was about Henry Hill's guilt, about turning his back on his, on his, his uh, birth family to become a gangster, and then at the end, turning his back on his gangster family. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is spot on and a point that really permeates the entire movie. And, and I, I really, you'd see that. You see that in yeah. Henry Hill's it, emergence. It, it's of like, what he ha- I, yeah. I feel terrible about doing these bad things, but I'm going to go keep doing these bad things because I can go to confession on Friday and it's okay. <laughs> exactly. And I can just, I can wipe it all clean and that's it. And just his erosion of character and we talk about erosion of character a lot in 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 the shape that be mob pod because this genre is really so predicated on that i don't think anybody can argue the fact that these characters start off with intentions and they end up in a place that those intentions really were never meant to bring them um, right. henry hill never wanted to rat out his friends he was told by <laughs> by jimmy conaway at a very young age never rat on your friends always keep that's your it. mouth shut that yep. was what this life that's, that's what that's what he got everybody paid after his first genre. pitch he exactly a bunch what, of money and he's like you learned you know, a good lesson yeah exactly yep. and, they always, were, and here never he was rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut yeah and, and he was thinking at this point you know i let everybody down and they were yeah. they could not have been happy for him it was it was a lesson that they were going to mm-hmm. you know to you to broke give your to cherry him. exactly absolutely you know can, can, you know, young kid and and the head of the 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 the, the head of that family it, yep. it comes to stand outside the courtroom and wait for you to get released after he sent in his lawyer to make sure that happens by paying off the um, the judge because you know right. there was there was a payoff to the judge, and um, it, it, it is it's it, it's a fantastic uh, display of, of greed and guilt and 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 Scorsese put it together in a way that nobody else ever could. No Scorsese movie, I, I'm telling you right, no Scorsese movie will ever be remade in, in, uh, in Hollywood. Yeah, you absolutely. Can't you, you can't do it. You absolutely can't. And uh, he's in that rare echelon where a guy like Eva, and even Coppola, I think, could have some of his movies either remade or something. Oh, I sure. don't believe anybody would be able to equal what Scorsese yep. brings. In Somebody want to come out and redo Rumblefish? Go right for it. Yeah, you know, it'll <laughs> be difficult, but yeah, you could do it. Yeah, you could definitely. I, we're not talking about The Godfather or anything, but there's nothing that Scorsese has ever done that somebody is going to be able to walk into a studio and say, you know, I'd really like to redo Raging Bull. Yeah, you can't. I'd really I mean, like even, to remake The Godfather. It's I mean, true. Goodfellas. I mean, even movies like, you know, The Departed, which we've chronicled here on the Shade at the right. Pod, or you know, others that he's been able to do, Casino, which will be down the line. We will definitely yeah. be looking at that one as well. Scorsese has a unique vision. He has a unique stranglehold on these types of movies and really anything that he's done and it just it comes through in everything that he puts into these movies so i completely agree that this will be something that is is never remade nor should it be uh this is one of those movies that stands alone and it stands alone for a reason uh realism was such a big part of what goodfellas uh legacy is all about for me anyway and i think Mm -hmm. that that's uh something that really can't be Stated enough. Um, interesting enough, and we, you know, we love tidbits here on the Shape That Be Mob Pod, and I'm going to give you one in a second, Murph. Um, Jimmy Conaway was actually not the first choice for uh, Jimmy Conaway. Robert De Niro right. was not the first choice for Jimmy Conaway in this film. Um, Scorsese was worried that he was going to be telegraphed as being someone that could not make a movie or successful movie without Robert without, De Niro. Right. And, and that became a, a running joke in Hollywood, and he was actually pretty much against that, even though De Niro fought hard to be a part of this film because he just identified with the character so much and knew that he could do so much with it. 
Al Pacino was offered the role of Jimmy Conway. Um, no way. Daisy always wanted to, he always, always wanted to work with Pacino. And now, uh, ironically, all three of them are going to do a movie <laughs> very shortly yeah. called The Irishman. The Irishman. I can't. Oh, God. I'm so, oh, and my it's God. be amazing. Oh, my God. I, and, and I've Joe got cannoli in, in my pants well. over the fucking <laughs> Irishman. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, I assure you. I assure you the feeling's mutual, my friend. And yep. you know what? Well, maybe that'll be our first date, you know? We'll, yeah, I'll, we, I'll, I'll, I'll trip over there and and we'll yep. we'll go check it out. Or so we'll we'll let the wives go do what they do and 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 we'll go watch this movie because I know my wife doesn't want to see this. I dragged my wife to this movie when it came. <laughs> it's true. It really, really is true. And you know, I think that this this type of a, of a genre really does. But Al Pacino was uh, the first choice by Martin Scorsese to play yep. Jimmy Conaway. Okay, and. Ironically, that same year, Pacino ended up turning down this movie, and he said that he was worried about typecasting, which I, I, I love mm. Al Pacino as, a, as an actor. I absolutely do. But that same year, he actually ended up playing Big Boy Caprice in Dick Tracy, and I yep. don't think you can get more stereotypical than that. <laughs> So I don't know if it was necessarily stereotyped or whatever, or there must have been something there that prevented him from being able to do this. But uh, in any case, once Pacino turned it down, De Niro lobbied hard for it, and the rest is history. He ended up coming into this film. But uh, again, I think there's so much realism that was brought in. Uh, Nicholas Pileggi actually went on record uh, saying after that Scorsese did bring in original and authentic mobsters to play a lot of the extras that lend uh, to the authenticity of the performances that you see. Yeah. And when we had Dave Brown on to chronicle uh, the, uh, the, one of our favorite comedies, My Blue Heaven, you see Steve Martin's character in that give a fake uh, social security number to the agent so that way he could be paid. Well, that yep. really was a takeoff on what happened here. This actually happened. Believe it or not, they gave fake, wow. uh, they did give fake social security numbers to Warner Brothers, um, and it's unknown how these guys were actually paid. I guarantee you, if they were authentic mobsters, they were paid for every second that they were on that set, but nobody really knows how they were or what happened, or how these paychecks ended up being issued. But uh, the actual mobsters, according to Nick, Nicholas Pileggi, were given, uh, they gave out fake Social Security numbers to make sure that they were not traced or tracked in any way. Uh, again, you know, from Ray Liotta's comments as Henry Hill at the end of the movie, the only thing that anybody knew that I was, that, that, uh, that, uh, was evidence that I was born was my uh, uh, was what was it my birth certificate and my arrest record yep. and that was and it. my arrest record yeah and then and that was it so these guys took that very seriously but again lending into the authenticity of the film De Niro was so into the authenticity of his character that he actually wanted to use real money for the scene where Jimmy starts handing out money to everybody. He just didn't like the way the fake money felt in his hands and he felt it would hinder his performance. So the prop master gave De Niro when he went into gamble? Yeah, and he, and he gave De Niro $5,000 of his own money and at the Love end of it. each take, no one was allowed to leave the set until all the money was returned and counted and that was made sure by Martin Scorsese, but they were willing to go that extra mile. Um, and I'm actually proud yeah. to say that nothing ever happened. Not one of those dollars was ever removed. I don't know if maybe that's because some of the actual gangsters were on set and they wanted to yeah. you know, enforce that. Maybe they liked Scorsese. Yeah. I don't know how he pulled it off, but he did it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that really ended up Irishman's lending Irishman's here to, to take all your guineas money. I love it. <laughs> uh, that's
That's it. Excellent. But uh, I, I was the was. only person in the movie theater that laughed at that. By the way, <laughs> I was sitting. Believe me, sitting at movie theater in Middletown, Connecticut, and and the the entire audience was was Italian except for me. Everybody yeah. was named Peter, Paul, or Marie. They were all there with a girl <laughs> named Marie. Uh, that is that's great stuff. And this is one of those I really wish I had seen in the movie theater. Just to oh, see what yeah. the reactions would be. I always keep a close eye, and I know they've done it a couple of times, and I've actually missed it every time they've done it. But I am looking to see if they will re-release this in the theater for any type of a um, yep. of a uh, of an anniversary or or just you know because of yeah you know, the, the art theater in Hartford really does uh, yeah. a great job with bringing back other films. And and you'll see re-releases into the into into theaters. It, oh man, if they would if they would do this, it would be fantastic. It really would. Yeah, it really it really truly would. And uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where you know just to see the audience reaction and just to see what mm-hmm. people you know how they react to it coming out. Because most of the people that would see this in the theater are people that have seen it. Uh, I'll never be able to experience what it was like to have never seen the movie and see it on the big screen for the first time. Uh, that is something that I will miss out on. But I I would be really really interested to see how people would react and what their reactions would be seeing it on the big screen watching it in a large with a large group of people that you don't know (laughs) i think that really is is a dynamic of movies that is very underrated seeing the reactions of people that maybe don't share your uh your uh it's always sense of humor it's always been a powerball dream of mine to open up a, a theater you know, just like a palace theater with a balcony and whatnot and show whatever the hell I want. And this this right. would definitely be on, on the list of, you know, we got to get that in. Well, you know what? If we're paid enough here on the uh, the Shave Epi Mod Pod, maybe that's yeah. something that we can swing, my friend. Guys, folks, get, uh... folks, hit that subscribe button, download the app, and, you know, I think there's a button there to, uh, to um, uh donate to the show now none of, none of that's trickling down to us yet <laughs> eventually yeah, we're, we're yeah, hoping we're still, yeah murph and i still have our hands out we're still waiting for that yeah but, we're still uh, no, waiting we, we i'm, I'm that, begging for yeah. t-shirts the other night man and what do you mean free swag where's my free swag <laughs> oh man yeah we'll get we gotta that get come in large we, green we sizes i'll take one of them we have to get our good buddy Ian Glendon on one of these one uh, one time, and uh, you know, really, yep. uh, really hold his feet to the fire. Ian's, Ian, you know was what, thrilled that we were doing this this episode too, man. He was dancing in the streets and shit. Oh, he was and, loving um, it. He yeah, was he loving was it. loving this life. Is man. Truly we a do. We need, to, we need. We've only had one guest to this point, and I think guest number two is going to be is going to be Ian. And um and that that'll be fun. We got to figure out which movie he wants to come in for. And, well, you know uh, and, what I'm and we'll thinking. Check that out. What I'm thinking in this situation is what we should do is do what they did in this movie, which is actually the, how am I funny? How am I funny in this scene? Uh, it's probably one of the most quoted scenes in, in movie yep. history, and really I think probably one of the most uh, quoted scenes in all of, uh, of, of Goodfellas, without any question. Uh, this was definitely uh, a scene that stands out, and everybody you know knows the how am I funny scene. It's actually based on a true life encounter that Joe Pesci had while he was working in yep. a restaurant as a young man. He apparently told the mobster that he was funny, and it was a compliment that was met with a less than enthusiastic response. Uh, obviously, there's you know not a whole lot of you know it didn't end the way it did. I don't think the mobster smashed the hell up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Joe I don't Pesci think Pesci got a got a bottle yeah. to the head. 
I don't think he quite got that reaction. But yeah. this scene obviously was was one that uh, that Pesci is is noted for, and people quote it. I think it's even on T-shirts all over the place. But mm-hmm. Pesci relayed this anecdote to Scorsese while he was filming this movie, and it actually wasn't originally in the working script. Um, they didn't have this uh, available, but Scorsese loved it, and he thought it was hilarious. And he said, "This will work." He says, "But I want you guys to do me a favor." He pulled in just he and Ray Liotta. And he said, I want you guys to be the only ones that know this scene is coming. Everybody else, all the extras, will not know that this scene is going to happen. And you can see it. Go back and watch the movie if you haven't watched it and you didn't know that this was based on something that was true to life. Watch the reactions of the guys around him. They're yeah. kind of looking at one another. They're going, is this serious? What's going on? Is, where's he going yeah. with this? They're trying to still be affable. They probably don't think he's going to go into a rage, but... They're wondering if maybe Leota might have hit a little bit of a nerve here and that Pesci's reacting a certain way. He tried to keep himself very much in character while he was filming this. So go back and look at the scene. You can see the reactions of the guys around him, and it really yep. is. They're really surprised, and that's genuine surprise, folks. That's not scripted. Uh, that is something that Scorsese wanted. He wanted that realism, and I think it worked well in this scene. I think it worked phenomenal, and he and Leota really played this so well. They they really did. It, it was fantastic, you know, and and they worked it into the um, the rest of the movie so well that you would never even know it. It it, it all turned into, you know, um, part of of Polly wanting to take over the the bamboo lounge and 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 using it to you know what mobsters do what what they sh- they show that they do it, it, it's all it, it's all part of that and it, it's 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 the character study is just fantastic in this i did not read this book did you read the book i actually haven't i've read excerpts of it uh in uh, okay. not so much in preparation for today but i've been dyslexic i don't read online. a lot so yeah. it, it's it's really you know i wait for the movie and and yep. that's what i did with this and i was tempted to buy the book a few times i wasn't sure if that's true but that was nice and i didn't know that 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 wasn't part of the book that that was a um that was a little anecdote from Pesci himself. It, it is. It, it's a fantastic scene. It's one of the most iconic scenes in 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 cinema history, I would think. You know, it goes goes right up there. That's why it is quoted so much, and you see it on T-shirts and everything else. One of the other things that I that I liked about this film was the fact that you know it, it went from the the gritty underside back to home with you know. Um, this entire movie is narrated um, by uh, um, by Leota and as Henry Hill, but the other narrative voice in it is Karen Hill and uh, Lorraine Brocko's Karen Hill. And one of the things that that struck me was was the fact that the the way the world revolves for them is that all of their wives are best friends too. Um, they right. never did anything with anybody else. It was always the same circle. And it was the women when they would get together for an Avon party or whatever. And and she just, when she's sitting there at, 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 after she first got married to Henry and she couldn't believe the conversations that these women were having, you know, about beating their children with belts and broomstick handles. Yep. <laughs> and that brought back fond memories of my childhood. And... Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, you never stood. In a, you never, you never backtalked my mother in a kitchen, because you know there was just too much to do. She'd snatch a wooden spoon and beat you to death. And then, um, 
but the fact that it, it was it was always such a close knit group. When they went on vacations, it was together. When the, the girls got together to play cards, it was together. And they were showing um, Scorsese during the f- film was showing different uh, Polaroids of uh, what was going on away from the crime. When you were getting together for a party or a barbecue, and so, you know, there there's. Um, Henry sleeping on a couch and, and Jimmy Conway pours water onto his head. And yep. Those are the, 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 I grew up with those Polaroids. You know, I actually grew up with those same Polaroid uh, pictures, you know, parties that my father threw. Yeah, and my, my old man was, a, my old man was a federal agent for Christ's sakes. My, my father was an ATF agent. He was in, he was in the secret service. And these are the kinds of parties that he had with his, his ATF buddies. <laughs> All sitting there drinking in the backyard with the same clothes on, and and the pictures that you would flip through at my mother's house, and and those were the same things, and that's how, that's how Scorsese uh, touches his audience in a way that that other directors don't. Yeah, absolutely, and so well said, and it really does, and it does put a human element on a lot of these guys as well. Because like we've said, Goodfellas is a very brutal type depiction of yep. the life of, uh, of mafia and really what it brings, and much more so than The, than the Godfather did, uh, either part one or part two, or even part three, which is a little bit more well, Part three is even is so far out, you know, yeah. unbelievable. We're, we're talking about one percenters in, in The Godfather part three. This is, yeah, ex- exactly. You know, Goodfellas, real you know, that was, one. yeah. Uh, you know, Goodfellas is is the street. It's it's mean streets kicked up. Right. Exactly. Very well put. I like that. I, but I but Lorraine Bracco, who played Karen Hill, she she has a line in the movie where since the, since we were all together, and this is the way things were all the time, it became all the more normal. Yeah, it truly did. That's your life. You know, you don't really, you know what your husbands are out there doing. They're out there hustling while other guys have their hands out. But, you know, they, they, they don't really know what they're doing. These are, you know, this is just, she, she becomes Jimmy Conway's wife's best friend. And, you know, it's, that's just the way it is. And they all know that, that their husbands have girlfriends. <laughs> it's just the way it is. The only person that, that didn't understand this was Karen because she was the Jewish girl who grew up, grew up in five towns. Yeah, exactly. And Bracco herself had said that she really was able to pull on a lot of her portrayal of the character of Karen uh, by growing up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. Even though she herself is not Jewish, Mm. she did grow up in that neighborhood and learn a lot of the mannerisms and a lot of what the character brought to the table. And I think it is interesting. And you see that dynamic of a mafia wife that's kind of the fish out of water in a different portrayal than what Diane Keaton brought to the table in The Godfather when you take a look at the character of Kay Adams being that waspy yep. type um, you Vermont know, uh, girl outsider, who you know, went exactly, to, that's right. just so naive to went what to Mount Holyoke and... right. <laughs> whereas Bracco's portrayal was much more street smart and you see yep. her not afraid to go in and get her hands dirty, she pulls a gun on her husband you know, she's physical with him in ways that yep. Kay would never even dream of that, you no. know, she did you know, in, in part two she does you know, obviously muster up some, you know, some uh, yeah. guts to be able to tell Michael that she's aborted their baby son. But that's about mm-hmm. as physical as Kay will ever get in, in the film. And she didn't. It was just, right. it was all verbal. But there's a verbal dad 
hit her. It was she. she yeah, yeah, she she hit him where she lived with the with the punches that she had because that was the the way then. But right. uh, Brocco, you know, as Karen, it, it, this is a completely different type of woman. Um, yeah. She did grow up in in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. Uh, you could tell that you know when she took Henry to you know for for lack of a better word the El Flamingo mm-hmm. out at um out, out of the coast and to go to the beach for the day. They were at the beach club and you know you could tell Henry felt out of um out of his element and she was in hers. And he was like, yeah, we, you know, you, you don't pay for anything here. You sign. Oh, okay. You just sign for it. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, you know, things like that. But it, it, it's, like I said, it, it pulled back the curtain on a side of the mafia that, that we haven't seen before and, and how it affected every aspect of everyone's life from, from the guys that were in the mob to their wives, to their children, to their in-laws. You know how they, when when Henry after Henry and Karen got got married and they lived with her parents. That's the way that's the way they did it back then. You know, you you moved in with your your Jewish parents and you lived there for a while till you saved enough money to buy a house. And um, they uh, and but you know waiting up all night for Henry to come home and right. <laughs> and mom yelling at him at the door. Where have you been? We've been sick. We've been worried to death. What are you doing? And Henry just turns around and walks. Henry away. just turns <laughs> around, gets it, and you can hear the Tommy DeVito character played by Joe Pesci in the cop. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Henry? Yeah. What's, wrong, What's with wrong with you, Henry? People don't act like this. <laughs> Exactly, and it's just, and you know what, I could definitely, and I think anybody in, in that frame of mind, whether you're, you know, Irish Catholic or Italian Catholic, and oh, sure. you can identify with that being balled out for coming in late, for not, mm-hmm. you know, for not following what the parents want you to do, That's not it. following that, that protocol that they want to set. I think anybody can relate to that. You ever, been, you, ever been marched to, you ever been marched to church for confession? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, yeah, in, yeah. An Italian, in an Italian, Irish, or, you know, a Catholic family, regardless of yep. whether it's on the Italian side or the Irish side, you have to. I mean, it's like you're going to confession. That's you're it. going you to confession. Wrong, on, you know? Yep. I, I, so help me God. One night, yep. my, my, I came home and my mother, you're going to confession right now. She took me yep. by my ear and walked me up to church and, and made, you know, called Father, uh, Father Cyprian and said, you're, you're going to hear his confession right now because i would have i would have burned in hell if i didn't confess this sin but if i died that day <laughs> <laughs> and it's true it's true the yep. you said an off color comment and it was part it was yep. part going to heaven and it was part you know raising your kid and teaching them shame and you know yep. right from wrong and you know nobody ever marched henry hill to confession <laughs> <laughs> no they truly didn't and then he was you know he danced to the beat of his own drum once he was mm-hmm. able to do that and you see the evolution of the character coming from a wide-eyed uh, kid that really was romanticized by the lifestyle of the gangsters and then being mm-hmm. able to grow into that role and as an adult and then meet, obviously meeting his wife and getting married, having a family, but still yeah. never leaving that. And then you see the deterioration of the character as right through the drugs. Yeah, he's he's betwixt and between by the world of illegal drugs, and he starts mm-hmm. dabbling into that. And you see that film kind of take a, a darker, much darker turn at that point uh, when you take a look at his involvement in drugs 
and how Paul Cicero doesn't want him doing that type of business. But Henry is dancing to the beat of his own drum. He sees money yep. in that white powder, as <laughs> as uh, Sonny puts in That's the uh, in the Godfather. Money in that and, white powder. You know yep. exactly, and you see that. You really see that side of it in this film. Um, one of my favorite parts in this movie um is like you said before and i hate to, to harken back to that but it to me it really is the the wedding scene uh where henry hill and uh, karen are married and you see just a whirlwind and that little silk purse that's again uh, it's, it's again. alluded to in the godfather but you you see it this time and you the see bang, all, all of the, the donations and everything going through and you see henry yep. and, and karen looking like they're going to live this life that's just a fairy tale in a lot of ways and you can see Mm-hmm. that that type of dynamic where all of these you know gangsters are donating and the start that they're off to it's 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 a wonder how the movie takes a turn as it did and i think that really is one of the turning points in the movie and i think that you see that from henry's perspective and karen's perspective that now all of a sudden that idealism that honeymoon period for lack of a better term is about to change and it's about to go right. in a different direction um one of the things I always wanted to ask you about when it comes to this movie, Murph, because I know you're as, as much in, in tune to this movie as, as I am, with regard to Henry's you know, turn to, I don't want to say the dark side, but I'm here, Henry's turn yeah, to drugs yeah. and getting into, into that side of the business and, and bringing in, you know, and bringing in uh, you know, Jimmy and Tommy into this and, and, and using that side of it. His erosion of character, I think, is the betrayal of Paulie. I think that, to me, I think that was the toughest part of it. It wasn't even so yeah. much Jimmy and Tommy, but looking up to Paulie is almost like a oh yeah a father figure. And yep, you really without see a doubt. it at the end, and you really see and, it at and, the end of the film. And I yeah, think, you really I see it at the end of the film, but yeah. you see the building of it. And and you know when, when I'm talking about what you know when 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 the the mailman brings mail from the school to the house, and they find out Henry hasn't been there in months, and he takes a beating for it um he goes over and he talks to tootie and 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 they they take care of it don't you worry you're gonna fuck everything up you know we'll we'll, (laughs) we'll take care of it and they they go to the post office and henry points out his mailman and um and they they toss him in a car they take him back to the pizza joint and they let him know with no uncertain terms any more mail goes to that kid's house from that school and in the fucking oven you go. Yeah. That's that's true shit. That's shit that happens. Oh, and, it does. and yeah, and um and he knew and there's there's Paul just standing there, you know, just moving nice and slow with this with his cigar and taking a puff on it and nope, no more mail went to that house. No more, you know, after a while his mother had to go to the post office and complain because they were they weren't getting any mail whatsoever and um uh, and that that makes a young teenager with with aspirations of being somebody uh look up to someone and and you're right you could you could tell at the end that um Henry knew that he had really let Paul down and Paul handed him a, a stack of a few thousand dollars to help him pay some of his bills and they said now I got to turn my back on you because you got involved with this with the drug trade and um, Paul let let him know when he got out of prison because you know that that's another part that I love the fact that they showed what life was like in prison for Goodfellas for wise guys, and um, they weren't mixed in with everybody else. <laughs> that was great. But it's true. Said, yeah, I'm and not, that scene I'm not is so iconic. G- yeah, 
Yeah, and I'm not going to jail for, you know, for for the rest of my life because I know somebody who's into drugs. You know, we 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 do what we do and they leave us alone because the guys that we're whacking and the people that we're killing are our own people and but once you start getting into drugs, there's 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 no way out. And and yeah. that was the downfall of Henry was when he got into cocaine in the 70s. The, by now it's the the early 80s. And um, and that that dragged him down, and it actually it, it dragged down a lot of um a lot of uh, of uh, crime families. Yeah, it really did. And you saw again, you saw that element in The Godfather, you know, Don Corleone not wanting the family to go into right. the drug business because it was you know by his own admission, not Don's is a done in business. You know, it really did. It was, and it it mm-hmm. did erode everything about these characters and the closeness and the familiar relationship that they had. Uh, you talked about the Polaroids earlier and you talked about, you know, the characters of Tommy DeVito and of, um, you know, Jimmy Conway being a part of Henry Hill's life and they did everything together. All you saw in these Polaroids were, you know, you saw Henry and you saw Jimmy and you saw Paulie and you saw Tommy. They were all together. They yep. were all a part of that. And one by one, each of these characters essentially had to go either their own way or they were betrayed. You know, obviously in, in Jimmy's case and in Paulie's case, they were betrayed by Henry. Tommy ended right. up meeting a, a, a different fate, <laughs> which we'll get into in a little bit as well. But right. um, the uh, you mentioned the jail scene, and that's another one of my favorite scenes in this movie where the razor blade with the cutting of the garlic. That's one of your favorite yeah. files that uh, it is. Uh, is, is passed around on, uh, on social media. Anybody that follows Murph knows that. And, Ironically, I do know guys that have. You know, I don't approve of something like if I tell you there's too many too many onions in your sauce. Yep, you exactly, know? absolutely. It's and that really is. It's it's such a staple. And I mean, anytime an Italian coming from a full blooded Italian family, I can tell you, food is probably one of the most, if not the most important thing and elements of bringing a family together. So when right. you see the absolute just fanaticism about Paulie wanting everything a, to be yep. there. We want the red. Oh, here we go. Now we can eat. There's the red. Give now me the white too. Give me the, the J&B scotch comes out. That's you know a mm-hmm. part of it as well, having an after-dinner drink and being able to share that. But not only the steaks and the lobster and the pasta and doing everything in pans was was ironic. Right. I, uh, you know, I remember my great-grandmother not having you know a, a, a grill or anything like that. She did and everything. And that was Scorsese's old man making that sauce. Exactly. It absolutely was. There's and, my uh, tidbit. Yep, uh, definitely, and and also you know Martin's mother being the uh, the woman that uh, uh, that they visit to play Joe Pesci's mother in the movie, of, right? Uh, you know da- Tommy, Tommy DeVito's, DeVito's mom, and you know you know and, uh, and the uh, the uh, the Billy Bat scene, obviously, which I think we probably should get into a little bit because yeah. when you really talk about turning points in the movie, I know I mentioned the wedding scene, but this is really a turning point in the film. This was the element of showing that Jimmy, Tommy, and Henry were going to go out on their own. And Henry Hill, prior to his death, said that he still had nightmares at least one or two nights a week, every single night for the rest of his life, about the actual murder of the Billy Bats character. uh, The real Billy Bats in in real life. But uh, he did say that this was depicted pretty accurately and and pretty brutally, and it was a brutal murder. And there's no question about it. Yeah, we, we, we talked in, in other episodes about, um, you know, the, the, the death of Sonny, um, the, the, the death of Billy Bats over, a, um, over an insult like that. It, it, it was, 
very eye-opening to to most people you know you 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 hear about you know the the mob killings and you see a a picture in the paper that you've seen in a hundred movies that they use you know a guy lying on the floor um even the uh even the uh the 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 restaurant scene at louis was was graphic but it, it wasn't like this this was a murder that happened by you know by hand or you know the guys beating another man to death or almost to death because they ended up having to freaking you know restab him and shoot him a couple of times in the trunk of Henry's car later when they went to go bury him but when it happened um Henry says a line that you know this is fucking bad because Billy Bats was a made guy and none of them were um and they they knew that that this would get them all killed, and um, what they had to do was was get rid of them. They couldn't just dump them out on the street. People are going to be looking for them, and they had to they had to go get rid of them somehow. Um, the but you're right. This is when when they were real. These three were really out on their own. They were the cow, the Pesci. You know, Tommy DeVito made them cowboys. Um, they, they were guys that couldn't be, couldn't be reined in at least, at least DeVito was and, or DeSimone in real life. And right. uh, if yep. you've ever watched, you know, any of the documentaries that they have around on, you know, check it out because it, this man's life was just freaking un, unbelievable. You, you can't believe the, the kind of evil that this guy was. And, um, but no, when, when they killed Billy Bats, it, it, it put a mark on them that that they were never going to get away from even though they they hoped nobody could actually pin his death on them that was that was their only hope going forward right exactly and that then that is essentially what started the the downfall all of a sudden right. at that point Tommy was always going to become the fall guy nobody mm-hmm. really doubted whether or not he was involved they saw the altercation people knew right. of the history between these two characters and the fact that they just absolutely despised one another uh, the despise was really more on Tommy's end I think Billy Batts probably looked at him as just this harmless kid that he liked to insult and you know yeah. took I took umbrage to he what probably, he said. He probably him. treated him, he came out of prison treating him the same way he did before he went into jail. Exactly. And, you know, and, yep. and, and DeVito was, was just done with it. He wasn't having it anymore. It had yeah. it, been eating him away forever. You know, it, he, was, he was Spider. Oh, you yeah, know, absolutely. When he was a kid. Pesci was, yep. Tommy DeVito was Spider. He was a little guy who sold cigarettes at the, at, you know, at the factory, and he would go and make a sandwich like Henry when he was a kid. And um, and but they didn't. I don't think I don't think Devito was loved the way that Henry was, and he was he was kind of the kid that got picked on by you know the this the the upperclassmen. Absolutely, he was, and I think that Pesci played the Napoleon complex perfectly yep. because even though Tommy De Simone was a very physically imposing guy in real life, the Tommy Devito character. Pesci had to play that with the Napoleon complex because he is a right. little guy, and he was probably easy to pick on, and people looked mm-hmm. at it and said, oh, yeah, well, he's little. He's not going to be able to do that. An interesting tidbit that I actually got from uh, an interview with Joe Pesci that he gave was in the scene, obviously, and you alluded to this earlier, Murph, where uh, Tommy DeVito shoots Spider, and, you know, Spider gives in, and he says, hey, you know, Tommy, go fuck yourself, and, you know, right. and then De Niro's character, and Jimmy's going crazy, and he's going, oh, imagine the moles on this kid, and he puts the, the yep. money down on Gives the Gives him a tip That's down, there you. you go, you don't take and no you shit from nobody. 
you can see the rage in Pesci right. building up. And Pesci actually said, he says, two things ran through his mind when he was shooting that scene. And it's probably something that's very subtle and most people wouldn't pick up on. One, obviously, is the rage of being insulted. He goes and he mm-hmm. shoots the kid. But a lot of what he saw was, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up about him being Spider. He probably saw a lot of himself in a young yep. Spider. I don't want this kid to grow up to do to me what I did to Billy Bats. I'm going to shoot right. him. Right. <laughs> and that's exactly, Bingo. And that's how, exactly, and that's how it was. It was almost nipping it in the butt. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I've, I've killed guys before. I'll dig a hole. I've done it. It ain't the first time I've done it. Yep, it ain't the first hole I've dug. Where do we keep the shovels? So, exactly. So it's a situation there where it's like, okay, well, that's it. I'm not going to let this get out of hand. I'm not going to let him do to me what I've done to others. And right. it really was kind of nipping it in the bud. So I, I thought it was interesting that Pesci offered that perspective because before hearing that interview, that's something that never crossed my mind. It only looked at me. I only looked at that scene as, wow, this guy's a real wacko. He just, you insult him. He just stands up and shoots you. He doesn't care. He has no yeah. internal filter. It almost in a way gave, I think, the character another dynamic. It gave the character a little more uh, gravitas, if you will, in saying, Mm -hmm. you know what, he actually wasn't just someone that just acted off of his gut. He actually did think things through. All right, he didn't do a very good job of it, and it ultimately cost him his life. It wasn't just that that the kid insulted him or or that somebody else applauded him for it or the the, the fact that, you know, when you're you're sitting there and and Spider's behind the the bar mixing a drink, mixing a cutty in water, and he's he he's given he's given Tommy a little smirk. Yeah, see, yep. I can I can I can come back at it at you too. I can dish it out too. Well, you're not going to dish it out for too much longer because I'm not going to let this fester and grow. I'm going to take care right. of this right now. And he did. No, exactly. that, that's another great tidbit. Thank you, sir. Yeah, definitely. No, thank you, and I appreciate. Well, I really the credit really has to go to Pesci because he's the one that brought well, it up. Well, sure, but you dug it up, you know, and, oh, and course, Joe's not you know. here. We've asked him to come, and he hasn't shown up yet. So, you know, I'm giving it to you. That's all right. I got some calls in there. He's he's a paisan. <laughs> we'll get we'll get him on eventually. I'm sure. Please. But uh, no, in any case, uh, you know, I think that. We've covered a lot about what's happened in in the movie, and we've talked about some of our favorite tidbits, some of our favorite lines, and and things of that nature. But ultimately, the tragedy of Goodfellas is the tragedy of Henry Hill, and the fact that his life got so far out of control that he was faced with either certain and imminent death, or he had to do what he had to do to make sure that he and his wife and his family were protected, even if that meant giving up the life he loved beyond belief and entering right. the witness protection program. And that's ultimately what Henry Hill did. He chose to save his ass. And, you know, I guess you can't fault him for that. I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine what a situation must be like to have to make that kind of a decision. But right. he did it. And I think um, well, Leo's character what was played coming. this very well. And, and you know, yeah. he, he knew, he, like you said, he, he said, you'll never hear it coming. You know, you, you get shot by somebody that's that's your friend, somebody that smiles at your face a hundred times. That's the way it happens in life. Um, Karen had, had gone to see Jimmy to get some money during this time, and Jimmy tried sending her into, a, into a, another store to go grab a, some dresses or something. And, you know, Karen was afraid to walk in because it was a dark, dangerous, and she didn't know if she was going to get killed. And uh, it sure as hell made it look like that. Yeah. Um, Henry Hill had no choice but to make what he the choice that he made to to keep himself alive and probably his his 
you know, his wife alive and his children, maybe his children too, from what he was thinking at that point. And, um, and they did go and he did turn, he did become a rat. Uh, when you're when you're 18 years old and watching this movie for the first time, or 20 years old and and you you, you hate and despise him for it, uh, you thought he should have just you know done what he you know lived the life that that he he had lived and t- pay the consequences the way Tommy DeVito did during during his his murder when he was they they suckered him in saying he was going to be a made man. Yeah. Um, we, but he did. He turned state's evidence, and in, in the end. He ended up just being a schnook. Yeah, exactly. You know, an ordinary Joe give, have, have an egg noodle yep. and ketchup and trying to pass it off as as uh, and, as uh, you know pasta and marinara. marinara sauce exactly. Yep. And uh, oh. you know, it, it it really was. It, it was you know something. Yeah, he he ended up living my blue heaven. He did, and, and and in a lot of ways, and we talked about this when we had Dave Brown on to chronicle uh, mm-hmm. uh, my blue heaven. That was this that was a sequel to, to Goodfellas. That, that was, was basically what it was a very lighthearted look at it. But that's essentially what happened. He ended up becoming a schnook and having to live that type of life. And ironically, right. my blue heaven was written by Nora Ephron, who is just happened to be married to Nicholas Pileggi. So right. <laughs> you want to take a look at that? It was two different a husband and wife taking two different looks at, at the same story. Uh, mm-hmm. One looking at the actual buildup and the actual uh, you know lifestyle, and then the other taking a comedic look at the aftermath. And I, I really do. I, I look at these two movies in such a different vein now, knowing what we know about these two and comparing the two of them, and saying, well, you know, this is so accurate and so brutal and such a uh, a real uh, you know, I want to say almost painful at times look at the life of a mobster and how they were able to progress from a young gangster to someone that essentially lost it all and then looking at the comedic yep. side of it and saying my god it must have been you know some of this must have been based some, on real yep, life from some kid that that skipped school to park cadillacs to witness protection right that's absolutely that's, you know and everything in between and like i said at the beginning folks this this, this was a more more than just a gangster movie it was a, it's a movie about guilt it's a it's yeah. a it's a movie about two families and betraying both of those families through the eyes of henry hill and his life it, it's a fantastic film i hope you all go see it again because it, it, nobody that's listening to this podcast has, has ever not seen it. You know, go buy it, rent it, do whatever you have to do. You know, call call whatever art theater that you that you know and say, can you please get us get a copy of this so I can sit down, pay you twenty dollars, and watch it on a big screen. Absolutely. No, and I, I completely agree. And again, like we've said, it's something that you wish you're able to have the experience of being able to see this on a big screen and experience the uh, um, uh, the just the reaction and I, of the audience. And, and, and we and realize you all have huge televisions and everything, and I don't. I have a, I have a 200-year-old home, so I don't have a huge television. It's just a nice-sized TV. Go see. This is a movie that, that needs to be seen in a, in a theater to be experienced. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in terms of continuity purposes, uh, Murph, before we adjourn today, I just wanted to uh, to let you know, when Pesci gave the insight on the, uh, I know a lot of people will probably point out that, oh, well, he shoots Spider before before Bats is killed. This is something that was festering yeah. in the mind of the uh, of the actual character. When you yep. look at the character, one thing about the way Scorsese filmed these movies is he gave you character pieces and character outlines that allowed you to foresee what the character was going to have to go 
through down the line to make sure that you knew the frame of mind. So yes, even though from continuity standpoint, I know a lot of people will probably point to that. Right. That's what that Pesci happened was referring for you. Yep. To. Yeah, that's what Pesci is. Was it wasn't the first time. It wasn't that. the first time that 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 Tommy D had had to freaking whack somebody because he thought they were up and coming. Exactly. Thought, you and, know, you know, that was it's always just, you could see yeah. it. It was just a good observation by you that yeah. that he could, you know, this is this is this is the way things are. Okay. Exactly. And and it also shows and explains the absolute rage when you see, especially Pesci's oh, yeah. face standing behind Billy Bats. He's almost hysterical, uh, like right. just crying with rage uh, yeah. to uh, to be able to finally let this all out. So it's also something that was always circulating in the back of his head about what he'd want to do if he ever got his hands on this guy. And that probably brought a lot of those memories back. So yep. um, thank you for indulging me that. I just I didn't want our listeners to think no. that we had shortchanged right. or that we had done something uh, uh, inaccurate. That uh, That is a uh, an accurate depiction, but just out of sequence. So it may have confused mm-hmm. some, but we hope you were able to at least clarify. And, a and that's, that's a little, that. you know, it's a bit us on, on me because, you know, we're not in the same room and we jump around a little bit and, and I, I go off paper and I'm going to end up getting whacked for it someday. No, nah, don't worry. Yeah, but well, it's uh, well, you know what they say about papers. You got to go get the papers. Get the papers. So, on that note, uh, I think that uh, we'll uh, probably just uh, drain the last of our drinks here at the Shea Bippy Mob Bar, and uh, we will uh, put a bow. Well, a, a we're going to run another bow. poll. Absolutely. We'll put a proverbial bow on uh, on Goodfellas. If there's something that we have not covered on Goodfellas, please don't hesitate to let us know. Yeah. Uh, send us your feedback. Uh, we're always more than happy to revisit topics. Here How did you guys right. How did you well. guys forget about this? What what are, what are you talking about with that? Please right. give us give us your thoughts on it. That's why we do this. We don't just come. If we, if we wanted to do this, we just you know put the movie in and sit down and talk or, you know, just talk on the phone about something. We love your feedback, folks. Keep it coming. It's been really cool. And don't be shy. Put it right out there. Absolutely. And, you know, we're easy guys to talk to most of the time, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, unless, uh, unless uh, in Murph's case, unless you're insulting Brandon Bolden or you're uh, praising <laughs> Demarius Thomas, he's pretty good. But that's another conversation for another set of all For another we're show. Not bring the, we're not going to bring sports here into the shade that nope. we're going to go ahead and we're going to give you everything that we can in terms of this genre. So, uh, Murph, any closing thoughts on Goodfellas before we, uh, before we close and we allow our patrons to leave? No, not at all. I just want to thank you guys all for tuning in. I want to thank you, Michael, for coming here and and sitting at the bar with me and and talking about these great movies all the time. Of course, we want to thank Ian Glendon and all the folks back at home for putting us on and and putting us out there for everybody to hear. Other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. This was another great show. It was. I mean, any time that we get a chance to sit and talk about these movies that we have a passion for, it's always, always a good day. And I thank you for joining me today, Murph. Uh, always a pleasure. Always a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we bring the, the news here on these movies the way only we can do it. And um, on behalf of my esteemed co-host, Mr. Thomas Murphy, I am Mike DeBate. And we thank you for joining us today at Shea Bippy. 
The bar is now closed. The doors are unlocked. Now you can leave, and we hope that you'll come back for the next go-around. Be sure to look for us on social media and look for those polls. At Team Earth 207 is where you can find my main green man. M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-P-C is where you can find me. We'll make sure to put the polls out there, and you can dictate what we will chronicle here next on the Shea Bippy Mob Pod, a podcast you can't refuse on the, podcast, on the Full Press Radio Network. Thank you for all for joining us today. Take care. Have a great day, everybody.